With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Ducks Confidential Podcast. I'm James Crepe and he is Aaron Ventures. And as you might imagine, we'll be going over quite a bit on all things Ducks, but we will start with the college football playoff rankings. That's why we come out with a slightly later edition of the podcast this week, because we wanted to be able to address the rankings, which now come out uh, each and every Tuesday night until uh, Selection Sunday in early December. So we'll probably end up doing this, uh, which I expect, on, probably on Wednesdays from here on. But we will get into the Colorado game as well, as long as the Oregon keeps winning at least. Uh, but we will get into the Colorado game a little bit and certainly get into this week's matchup with Washington as well. But with the rankings being what they are, they will take up all of the oxygen in the room and drive all of the conversations and whatnot. Uh, and being that they're certainly this is the first week, understandable. People have interest. And this has been such a unusual year, uh, the volume of upsets the volume of ranked teams that have lost uh, a group of five team in Cincinnati who has started off as strong as it has. There's you know been a lot of speculation about the rankings and what was going to happen and Oregon and Ohio State playing and who would be ahead of who and all those sorts of things. So having said all of that, your reaction, Aaron, to Oregon debuting at number four and that being the start to things uh, from the CFP committee's perspective as of last night. Uh, you know, I, I kind of was on the fence about where I thought they'd be. And then I was, I was on a radio show, uh, yesterday morning talking to Justin Myers here in Portland about it. And he, out of the blue, asked me where I thought Oregon would finish. And I kind of thought they'd be for just because they did beat Ohio state. And I thought the playoff committee would recognize that initially. I still think that that head to head situation could lose its potency as things move along. Um, because of Ohio State's schedule, but I felt initially that they would be in the top four. I'm not sure if I believe they quite deserve it. I mean, we can go around and around about that forever, but I don't think that they flat out don't deserve it. And like you said, it's the initial ranking, right? It's like, it's a starting off point. It's just, let's get the ball rolling. Here it is. But it's better to be starting off four than starting off six or seven. I think there's seven in the AP, right? AP poll? Seven, seven in the AP and the coaches, yes. Right. So... Uh, it's a good place to be for them, and um, I think it was, you know, it was fine. I didn't have a problem with it. Yeah, I thought it made sense. Uh, I did. I was with you. I kind of said, look, it's the initial ranking, so going by historically what the committee had done in years past, 
you knew that strength of schedule, strength of record, uh, that those things in particular carry a lot of weight. Basically, it boils down to who have you played, who have you beaten, who your quality wins. And to me, not just about the Ohio State game, but the win over Fresno State, which certainly helped uh, the fact that Fresno State was number 23 in the committee's rankings, uh, that if they lose or drop in the weeks to come, that that will also have uh, a negative impact on Oregon. But in terms of a November 2nd ranking, I thought they'd be four or five myself. I really did. Um, I I thought seven was too low. I I thought that the committee was going to very much ding and and mark down Oklahoma relative to and compared to where the AP poll voters and coaches poll voters had them. Uh, I thought Oklahoma was wildly overrated uh, for for the AP poll mm-hmm. and that the committee would end up ranking them significantly lower. They did. I thought Wake Forest would be ranked low and they were uh, because those are two teams who they may be undefeated, but they haven't played anybody. And Oklahoma has a much, again, we'll get, we'll get into what it looks like going down into the future. But as of now, as of today, who have they played? And the answer for both of them is no one. So that can change certainly. And that's why these are, evolving and moving targets but as of november the 2nd november the 3rd where are things at well yeah oregon's resume is significantly better uh, than either one of those teams who happen to be undefeated yes then cincinnati also where it's not a matter of saying oh well i've watched them play and they are obviously a better team it's not a matter of that it's a matter of yeah but who have they actually played and yes they've played notre dame and then you get into, well, Notre Dame is 10th, and who have they actually played other than Cincinnati, quite honestly? And then, you know, yes, a ranked Wisconsin team. But outside of those two games, Notre Dame hasn't played anybody. Uh, and has had some tough times in some other games that they've won. So, bottom line, when you factor in all those things, Michigan, Michigan State playing, uh, and etc. Yeah, I, I really wasn't all that surprised, quite honestly, by how the committee ranked teams. I really wasn't. Uh, I think you could have made an argument that Michigan State could have been second and that Alabama could have been third. But other than that, and again, that's going to be a moving target. Everybody really in the top 10 because you've got teams who have to still play each other. Ohio State's less to play Michigan and Michigan State. If Alabama ends up winning out, if they end up winning out, they will play Georgia in the SEC championship game. They could drop out of the top four with a loss there. They could drop out of the top four before they get to that point. They still have to play Auburn, among others. Uh, and for that matter, you know, the SEC West, which really, really heavily populated the top 20 teams, there's going to be further cannibalization among teams in the SEC West. Some will move up, some will move down. I'm not saying it's going to be wildly dramatic, but the reason why a team like Alabama is ranked as high as it is is because it's loss to, yes, a two-loss Texas A&M team. Yeah, but Texas A&M is in the top 15 of these rankings. You're not going to get penalized very heavily for that. And and you never have been in these rankings. So bottom line, does, does the Stanford loss hurt Oregon right now? Yes. Will it continue to hurt them going forward? Probably. Uh, and this past weekend, Stanford having done – 
to it what it did to Oregon and having Washington have a two-minute drive to win a game at the end, that was as bad an outcome as Oregon could have <laughs> possibly seen. That yeah, it was game, not a good. It was not a good weekend for Oregon in terms of what happened around the conference. That game, yeah, between Cal beating State Oregon losing. State, yeah, um, State too. That could be the conference championship game. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, for, uh, uh, yes, no. yes, but I mean, but Oregon, you'd rather Oregon play them would at prefer. Eight. You would prefer to play uh, Utah, even though you could end up having to deal Utah two losses. That's what but, I'm saying. Like you beat the. Oh. Okay. But I mean, but ultimately, I mean, the, I'd the rather play there, a the, nine and two. I'd rather play a nine and two or eight and four, or sorry, right, nine and three or eight and four Arizona State team than play Utah twice. But I I, I don't disagree. I mean, ultimately, it's it's somewhat negligible, somewhat negligible compared compared to the Washington Stanford outcome, whereby you're basically hoping that Stanford can get to six and six on the season. Mathematically, they still can. But uh, if you start projecting out basically what is what will help the Ducks most in terms of remaining Pac-12 outcomes uh, across the league beyond Oregon winning its own games, uh, it's obvious, yes, Colorado and Arizona losing every one of its uh, their games to whoever they're playing each week, sure. But when you get into other games like, for example, Friday night, Utah and Stanford, what do you want if you're Oregon? Well, you want Utah to keep winning. Yeah, but then if Stanford loses, that's its sixth loss. Mm-hmm. And if you don't want Stanford to be just a complete albatross, they have to start winning somewhere. Well, Stanford has to play Oregon State. You want Oregon State to keep looking good. So sooner or later, you're in a rub where you're pulling. if you're a Ducks fan, you're pulling for certain outcomes that one way or another are going to harm one of your opponents and either harm the relative quality of the loss, which we know is not particularly strong in the first place, or bring down the relative quality of potential wins ahead. So one way or another, there's a couple of outcomes like that. Yeah, a lot of the games in the South Division where you either don't play somebody like USC or whatever, sure. And again, Colorado and Arizona, you just want everybody to beat them. That's, that's yes. But there are a couple that become far more complicated because of, like I say, that Stanford-Washington outcome this past week. That threw a big wrench in there. If Stanford is going to get the six wins, if you don't, if and if you know, look, if you're a Ducks fan, just says, look, just let Oregon win its games, and you don't necessarily follow every piece of minutia along the way. Okay, but these are the things that the committee looks at. These are the th- these are the data points that go into the calculations. They matter. They just do. So right now you're pulling like crazy for Fresno State. You need Fresno State to keep winning. Because if they drop out and Minnesota keeps winning and Ohio State's strength of schedule is going to go up significantly in the back half of its of, in November here where they play in Michigan and in Michigan State in particular, well, all the metrics are going to start favoring Ohio State significantly. Moving up and flipping spots of them, that's one thing. And you can say, well, sure, look, ultimately, if Ohio State just knocks off Michigan State, what does it necessarily matter? Here's the thing. What if Michigan State only has one loss? That's a debate you haven't. Ohio State. (laughs) Yeah, and that's a debate you don't necessarily want to get into because they've got a far better win over Michigan. That and if they end up just winning out, now yeah, they still have to play Penn State too. I understand, but point is, is Oregon's numbers will start to not compare terribly favorably 
to a lot of other teams who are in that top eight, top 10 cluster going forward. As bad as I mentioned Oklahoma before, as bad as their numbers are now, their difficulty of schedule the rest of the way. Right now, it's been basically non-existent by way of difficulty, and they've struggled to get to where they are at undefeated. But their remaining three games are against three legitimate teams. So their strength of schedule to date is like 115th. Their strength of schedule going forward, I believe, is the toughest in the country. So that's the difference. Yeah, if they beat if they beat Baylor, number fourteen Baylor, number eleven Oklahoma State, both seven and one, and then Iowa State's five and three, but that's the equivalent of a UCLA, OSU, Utah, or ASU at this point. If they win all three of those games, and then the other remaining games, which they should easily win, and they're undefeated, there's there's no way they shouldn't be ahead of Oregon. No, and they won't be. Right. They 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 but won't be they, they won't be behind they won't be behind yeah they won't they'll, be behind they'll, 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 exactly. move, they'll move up they'll move up and that's the point is as of now that's why we get into the rankings today yeah as of today it makes a lot of sense for Oregon to be where they are if you actually drill into the numbers it was just about oh well I watched that team and that team looks so impressive and they oh they blew the doors off some really terrible teams so they look great well that's nice but they didn't play anybody so and struggling to beat Kansas on a on a Absolutely ridiculous looking play. Well, that's nice, but, <laughs> you know, so be it. Uh, but going forward, yeah, do they have a chance to massively jump up? Absolutely. Yeah, Oklahoma has a chance to massively jump up. Ohio State has a massive chance to jump up by way of strength of schedule and those things. God, no. So, yeah, so <laughs> a, lot of diff- a lot of different data moving points. But And as of today, makes sense for Oregon to be four. A week from now, two weeks from now. Three weeks from now, might not. Who knows? Who knows? Here's, a, here's another thing, though. Here's another thing. If Alabama beats Georgia mm-hmm. in the SEC title game, mm-hmm. Georgia will in. be a one-loss team, and they're that loss in. will be to Alabama. They're both and in. They're both exactly. In. So, so the best-case scenario for Oregon is that Georgia beats Bama and gives Bama that second loss, but now the Bama best case scenario for, falls out. For, the best-case scenario for Oregon is that Alabama loses potentially multiple times. Yeah. Well, you you think Alabama two loss gets in over Oregon one loss? I don't think so. Mm, two, two, uh, oh, so like loses the Iron Bowl but wins the West and beats Georgia would be the no, scenario. No, 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 no. If if Alabama wins, sorry, if Alabama wins the conference title, even with two losses, if they lost Auburn, and that's Florida, what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah they, they get in. I'm one, saying if one, one, I'm saying if I'm saying if their second loss is to Georgia in the championship game. I don't think that they would get in over Oregon. It, Oregon it'll depend. It'll it, it, that would be an interesting one. I I don't think the committee would actually have the stomach for it. Um, I don't. Yeah, to I me don't. that's to me that's like a playoff game. That that there's a playoff game right there. Georgia Bama is a playoff game. Winners in, loser out. Unless it's Georgia with one loss. If you have a two loss team, get them out, put someone else in, let them. Get their crack at it. Bottom line is, this is all BS. We just have there's no, teams. yeah, there's really no. Well, <laughs> there should be twelve, and that's probably where it's headed. But the you could come up with about thirty different scenarios whereby Oregon gets left out of the top four, even by winning out that they could get left out. We might you identify one of them where yes, if Alabama were to beat Georgia, they both get in, and then if you have a Ohio State who wins out. Or for that matter, a Michigan State who wins out, joined by Oklahoma, Oklahoma, or Cincinnati. 
I no, Cincinnati's numbers are going to be horrific, horrific. So why? Okay, but uh, I know. Okay, their numbers are going to be so, really bad. They are. But they have a they have a win over Notre Dame, which is a top. What, what are they ranked right, right now? Right now, they're Eighth number ten. Ten. And they're tenth. Ten. Okay, so so that's their big win in comparison to Oregon's win over Ohio State. And who else has Oregon beaten? I mean, you mentioned Fresno State. I mean, but they're you know they're mid. Yeah, but Cincinnati's so. Cincinnati's strength of schedule right now, I believe, is one hundredth. Undefeated though is undefeated. Although I no, will say no, it's not. No, it's not. It's not I'm t- because hey, UTSA hey, is not I, in there at all because I'm undefeated just, is not undefeated. They beat Notre Dame. Actually, right. I 100% agree with you because one of the things I hated all these years is when Boise State would play nobody and then they'd get that one win over any ranked team in the right. country and everyone would go, oh my God, Boise State, should they be in the national? I'd be like, no, they shouldn't be because their schedule is weak. So I agree with you on Cincinnati, but I'm just saying, if they're, they're sitting there 12-0 and with a win over Notre Dame, I mean... Yeah, but given Oregon's rest, weak schedule, especially I know, but look at the Pac-12. Is the Pac-12 much better? It's than better. Is it much better than the is American? It, but is it much better than the American? <laughs> is it, yeah, this year is it much better? It's better, but is it it's that better. much better? It's significantly better. Yeah. Okay. Because. I mean, Navy is terrible this year. South Florida is horrific this year. Tulane <laughs> is awful. Arizona is awful. Colorado is awful. Right, I agree. They're, two, they're the two worst teams in the Power Five, Cal without question. Is weak. Right, but they could still end up getting to six and six. Believe it or not, not just mathematically they could get to seven and five. You could actually chart a path for Cal where they could quite li- they could very easily actually get to six and six, even though they're three and five at the moment. They really could. Don't sleep. Don't sleep on that win over Indiana for uh, for Cincinnati. It's a Big Ten win. Sure, <laughs> but the point is, is that they also have you know among their other games in the non conference play was Miami, Ohio, and Murray State. And look, I'm not saying I'm not. I don't want to make this all about uh, Cincinnati and whatnot because, quite honestly, I think they're actually a pretty damn good team. Yeah, Indiana. I, I do. It's okay, not. I've about, exhausted. It's, it's, I've it's, exhausted. It's a all difference my between. My, uh, it's a difference between uh, uh, my my actual view of a team versus what the data is going to be, right. and the data and the metrics are going to dictate that unless Cincinnati <clears throat> gets a ton of help, a ton of help from teams ahead of them dropping off badly, they're going to be left out. Well, they and need they say, need Michigan well, they need Michigan State to beat Ohio State. They need Oregon to lose. Then no, those they need, they need all losses. of the Big Tenies to be knocked out of the way. They need all of the Big Tenies to be knocked out of the way. Cincinnati needs pure chaos no, in the Big if, Tenies. If, if Michigan State beats Ohio State and Oregon mm-hmm. loses and Oklahoma loses, you don't think Cincinnati can sneak in at four? If they're 12-0? Is Wake Forest undefeated? Is Is... I mean, oh, right, saying, right now, that, right now, since he's ahead of Wake Forest, does Wake Forest have a big game coming up? They don't have a particularly strong, any particularly strong opponents coming up by by way of you know top teams but, and whatnot. But, but you also have by far, but, yeah, yeah. But but you know, at the moment, Cincinnati's ahead because of the strength of of the win against Notre Dame. Yes, and Wake Forest probably is not going to get a particularly strong shot at a game like that. Maybe, maybe they'll play Pittsburgh in the ACC title game. 
but that league is way down. Yeah, it's not particularly strong at all. But point is, is that, yeah, but right now, since he's ahead, but their numbers are going to keep going down. You realize even when they play current one-loss teams in SMU and, and potentially Houston in the AAC title game, right now those teams aren't ranked in the top 25 by the committee. Now, again, could that change? Yeah, I suppose one of them could get in there, but they're both not going to get in there. So, so you don't think they get in ahead of a of two lost teams? I think there's a chance that a second SEC team could still be ahead of Cincinnati, whether we're talking about a two-loss Alabama or if somebody knocks oh, yeah. Alabama I'm- off along the way, that if it's whether we're talking about Auburn or whoever. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying Georgia-Bama in. Michigan State beats Ohio State. So now Ohio State has two losses. Oregon loses along the way. Now they have two losses. Oklahoma loses. Cincinnati is sitting there, the only undefeated team in the country, let's say, with Georgia, maybe, maybe not. I'm saying that's the path or scenario for them. Because you were saying they have to have a lot to happen. And I'm saying and I'm saying that a one loss Michigan, if they beat Ohio State. I have Michigan in. I have Michigan in. No. You have Michigan State. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Michigan State. Sorry. You said Michigan, sorry. You think, yes. so you think a long, one, I'm one saying, loss Michigan I'm saying does both. in this conference? Yeah, I'm, my point is, is I'm saying both. I'm saying what if Michigan beats Ohio State and is sitting there at 11-1, and 11-1 Michigan is getting in over Cincinnati. Yes. Yes. So they, so they need Michigan out. State to be – I know, but – okay, okay, back up. I'm talking about two lost teams. <laughs> I've said that like four times now. So if Michigan State beats Ohio State, they have two losses. If Michigan – yeah, I agree. If they go 11-1, they could probably sneak in. But if they lose – they could still lose. They could lose to Ohio State. Right. Then they would have two. So two, so I'm asking you, do you think Cincinnati gets in over two lost teams from better conferences? Not Alabama. I don't think they get in over a two-loss Alabama. I agree. If that, loss is to, if that loss is to Georgia. To Georgia. Right. And I'd have to know what the loss is. For, for some of these other teams, and then and so a lot has to happen. Agree, yeah, right. a lot, a lot. Because again, they start at six, and you go, yeah, they start there. But the thing is, is again, the math is going to keep getting dragged down, right? Not up. They are in a brutal spot. And that guess what? You can say, well, then that just means there's basically there's nothing that these teams could do. The deck, the deck is totally stacked against them. How wrong is this? You're right. You're a hundred percent right. Yes. Which is why expansion is necessary was in that a four team playoff was never going to be satisfactory and that the entire construct of it was it was made by the power conferences for the power conferences that the little guy never got a chance to get in. They didn't get a chance to get in the BCS. So, yes, yes, the, 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 the game is rigged in terms of the system is built for the power teams to to dominate the presence in the playoff and the little guy is not supposed to get in. Yes. Plus they yes. still want, they want us to, they still want us to all be talking about it, which is what we're all falling. Well, the, this well. is the, yeah, <laughs> well, no, by, by talking about it, this stuff is just yeah, like it Twitter last night. This is totally unnecessary. <laughs> this is totally unnecessary. And we, but here's the thing. So- I said it was unnecessary going back Prior to its its creation, during its formative stages, and I wasn't alone in that regard. By the way, um, plenty of people identified columnists, national writers, when we were asking Bill Hancock go back in twenty twelve and twenty thirteen, 
and before the process started in 2014 and those off seasons of, wait a minute, you're actually going to keep doing this? Why? Why? In basketball, the, the field is announced and that's that. Period. And that was because at that time, that was prior to the, here are the top 16 seeds if the tournament was today. That was before that. The reason why that started was largely because of what football does and the, and basketball wanted to generate conversation, even though there's really none to be generated. But that's why. Go back to 2013, 2014 when a lot of these conversations were happening. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? And all they would say was, oh, well, you know, it's it's part of the tradition of college football, whatever. And you go like, yeah. So in other words, uh, ESPN had a BCS <laughs> ranking show and they want to have a playoff <laughs> ranking show. Absolutely. That's all that's all Absolutely. it is. And it's fine. I'm all for it. Hey, it's fun. It's fun. It keeps fans engaged. It gets people talking. It's all part of the conversation. But is it necessary to no. make the sport? No. Do I think it actually does actual harm? More harm than good? Yeah, I do. I think that because this is also unnecessary, I think that this stuff... Because then it, it, it isn't just breeds of, oh, all publicity is good publicity. I think this hurts the general integrity of things at times. At times, you could draw up scenarios where when it's really, really clean and easy, well, then it's just like, all right, well, no matter which 13 people you put in a room, no matter which data you threw there, it was the obvious choices. And in some years, they've had that luxury. In other years, you get into the, Oh, well, they're just doing this to this team. They're hosing that team. They're doing that. They hate this one. They're biased here. That this These conversations going on for a solid month every year, no, I don't think it's terribly good for the sport. No, I agree. I, I think it would be so much better off if they did one ranking prior to championship Saturday, weekend, really, because not just Saturday, but championship Saturday for everybody other than the Pac-12, basically. Um and then the week after. Two things. One, when I was a kid, eight or nine years old, and I discovered, I was a big NFL fan like really early. And I discovered that college football was the national champion was voted on. Oh, it's better than that. Yeah. I was completely disgusted. Like as an eight or nine year old, just incredulous. My parents were like, shut up already. I just couldn't believe how stupid that was. So at least the BCS was a little better. But again, you, you, it's set up to where, like you said, Someone's going to complain that they're getting screwed. The problem with that, though, is that everyone's disingenuous and intellectually dishonest because everyone chooses whatever value system benefits right. them at that right. moment. Right? right. If Oregon were if Oregon were eight no right now, like Oklahoma, and at eight, they'd be freaking the hell out and they wouldn't care if Oklahoma beat Ohio State. They'd be going ballistic. But now it's all head to head matters, blah, blah, blah. It's all it's all nonsense. That said, that said. One, they do still create the angst, which is what college football wants. But at the end of the day, when you're when you're deciding things with a bunch of people in suits, it has zero credibility. Like the entire thing is just a joke. It's why I I like football, so I like college football. I like watching it, but the entire system I don't respect. I barely watch the playoffs. Like I don't think I've watched a full playoff game from start to finish since the one I since the two I covered when Oregon. Florida State and Oregon, Ohio State. I'm just not into it because it's just corny to me the way they do this entire thing. So hopefully they'll expand it. Well, with, more with so little West Coast presence in it, other than Oregon and, and Washington the one year, I can understand why people west of the Mississippi wouldn't watch it. Well, no, but that's not why I don't watch it. I don't watch it because it's just corny to me. I have no allegiance. My, my team is Miami. 
And Miami hasn't been relevant in a long time. I have no, I, seriously. Yeah, but if you're not Alabama familiar, if you're not familiar, if you're not familiar with, yeah, right. But if you're not familiar with the teams, the players and whatnot, then what do you care? And if, and if your NFL team doesn't have a no, chance to draft that, not, one of the guys who's it. playing, watch, then you really don't care. That's not it. In NFL, it, it could be anyone playing in the NFL playoffs and I'm going to watch it because the NFL makes sense. College football doesn't make any sense. I don't want a bunch of people in suits sitting right. around deciding who that's what I'm talking about. So let me I, ask you this though. I don't like Wake the system Forest. either. Again, I want the No, I know. We agree. If if Wake Forest goes undefeated winning the SEC ACC. Sorry, the SACC, sorry, ACC, how do they not get in? That would be the first undefeated team from a Power, a power 5 conference to not get in if they didn't get in. And maybe the, their conference is down this year, but so is the Pac-12. And they would be undefeated. Do you mm-hmm. see a scenario where they don't get in? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't disagree. Yeah. That's why I'm laughing. I could come but again, up, that, I could that, come but up again, with that several, to me is just I could that come up with several sad. scenarios. That to me is just sad that that's even on the table. That's why I can't respect well, that. The, the, well, Pac-12 fans, all their ire over the last better part of a decade directed at SEC bias and you know unearned and blah, 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 when that was total nonsense by way of yeah, bias. Okay. All right. See, oh, see, there was bias. See, see if there your team's biased. Okay. All right. They don't, they only, there was no bias? In in playoff selection? No, not for – Oregon has never been hosed in a playoff scenario. I'm talking about the fact of how, how the SEC has been ranked and, and perceived. Uh, oh, in oh, yeah. Dude, oh, yeah. Dude, to, listen to me, man. Listen, I, I – that stuff would come up and I'd be like – the SEC is better. These teams are better. And Doug fans would just hammer me. How can you say? Literally, I would have debates. How can you say the SEC is is better than the Pac-12? But because I've been paying attention to college football my entire life. There's no debate about this. And then, of course, as great as Oregon was, when they went up against LSU, when they went up against uh, Auburn, even though the Auburn game was close, the one thing Oregon did well By the was win the football. How did Auburn and they do that got year? Completely, and they got, huh? By the way, how did Auburn do that year? Auburn won the national title against Oregon. I'm talking about that game. Oh, I'm talking about the 2019 matchup. <laughs> yeah, Auburn won the 2019 season opener, and then oh yeah, Oregon yeah, had no, the I know su- more successful season, but no, uh, no. And, and another thing I would say too, it's <laughs> to piss people off. While Oregon was winning four conference titles in six years and going to two national title games, I I said that entire stretch, Oregon would not win the SEC in any one of those given years. They would not win the conference. And people would be, well, you're crazy, you're crazy. Now, the 2014 team would be interesting but I, because the Pac-12 that year finished with, I think, five or six ranked teams. So that was the strongest the conference really has ever been, and Oregon won it. But Oregon did lose to Arizona, and they lost to Ohio State that year. So if you put them in the SEC against that gauntlet, then I think they lose a couple and they never get out of it. So I'm with you 100%. But – that said, there still is some bias, bias, but when it comes to the SEC, I don't. Ultimately, I, the I, my point I never was, had a is that the it. ire of folks should be directed more at the ACC, where everything was everything was propped up for the last decade. Everything was propped up on the strength Clemson. of Clemson. Yeah, and the minute that Clemson had a down year, which is what they're having, then the emperor has no clothes. And that's why Wake Forest, yes, even a potentially undefeated Wake Forest could very easily be left out of the top four because you could construct a lot of different scenarios. Again, their math is not good. And they do not, other than playing NC State, 
and then maybe Pittsburgh in the ACC championship game if Pittsburgh wins out. That's the only scenario whereby you're going to give Wake Forest two quality wins. And quality versus, you know, top 10 or top 8 is a pretty sharp divide. Again, basically last night, Gary Barta, the selection committee chair and athletic director at Iowa, had to rationalize keeping an undefeated UTSA out with Pittsburgh ahead of them at 25 because Pittsburgh is a you know a better team than an undefeated team. That was a debate about Pittsburgh last night. Why are they 25 at all? Now you want, if you're Wake Forest, you want Pittsburgh to keep winning and just hang on long enough. That's basically the, the only way to say that Wake Forest has a quality team down the road. Yes, they also have NC State, but point is, is yeah, that's where the ACC is very down this year. So Pac-12 fans, Oregon fans particularly, should be rooting for and pointing out that the ACC is the weakest league of the conferences this year, even with the weakness of the Pac-12 this season, and it is weak, has the two weakest teams in the Power Five, but top to bottom, it is still better than the ACC. The ACC is awful this year. And yes, to your point, Aaron, yes, a undefeated Wake Forest could actually be left out if it got to that point. And not just because Georgia's undefeated and Oklahoma's undefeated and Oregon and Ohio State could both be one loss or Michigan State could be undefeated along with it and whoever else is le- – and Cincinnati's undefeated. No, not just because of all these other undefeated teams. You could construct scenarios where, other than Georgia, everybody else has losses and they're still ahead of Wake Forest. <laughs> That's where you can say the math is what's going to be what the math is. Like, you know, it's really pretty simple when you just boil it down to formulas and numbers – and don't get so caught up in the emotion of, I'm not defeated. Why are you getting so upset? It's just, just put the numbers in and see for yourself. It's See here, yeah. here this this leads to my, this has been my radical idea for like probably, probably 10 years right now. So you look at Wake Forest, they played Old Dominion, Norfolk State. Uh, I think that was their two non-conferences in our army. So that's yeah, a and they had And they had, I believe, I believe Wake had, I think it was Wake who had North Carolina in a double up, I think. Or no, somebody had North Carolina in a non conference. Somebody somebody in the ACC, I think, in a technically what was a non conference game. Um some something to that effect. Um oh no, it wasn't Wake. Somebody somebody doubled up with like North Carolina or something in a in a non conference conference matchup. But no, it wasn't Wake Forest. But anyway, but yeah, Old Dominion Norfolk um Army. Yeah. So that's and, as bad. Uh, that's as bad as Oregon's a couple of years ago when they played Bowling Green, Portland State, and was it San Jose State? So I've always thought here's here's my radical idea. Every team has to leave. Every team that wants to contend for a playoff berth or what have has to leave a an open date, and then you have to pre-declare a year in advance an intent to contend is what I would call it. And once you declare that then that date has to be scheduled against what would be perceived to be a comparable team. You're talking about a what, top 20. That's team. what the Alliance is talking about. So 10 years ago, I was, that was my sort of my, it's my what, thing. It's what the Alliance is talking about. It's what the pack, talking, it's what the pack then pack 10 and big 10 were talking about in the prior iteration of the Alliance that never saw the light of day. Right. Which th- was that way you, you schedule avoid a non-conference then, game. Schedule a mutual date 
for non-conference games in basically week three or week four. And see, this is another reason but it ha- why. But it, but it has to be against upper echelon. It can't just be against like. Well, you like, can't do it upper echelon for 20 some odd teams in two conferences. And you can't say no, everybody no, no, leave an no, open no, no, day, but know, we only know, care about four no, of you. I know. That's, <laughs> why my, that's why my idea is better. What I'm saying is you, however many teams honestly believe they have a chance have to declare their intent to contend. And then, then you're in that pool. How many teams do we have? We got 15, we got 20, we got 25, we got 30, cap it at 30 or whatever. And then those teams have to schedule a game against someone else within that intent to contend pool. That way you don't end up with this garbage Aaron, Wake Forest hat. Do you think that's what I would do? Do you, do you really think in the, in college football, in recruiting and everything else that anybody who doesn't jump in that pool of yours is going to have any chance? In the age of the transfer portal and recruiting and NIL, do you think a team who says, nah, we're not going to compete for anything, that they're going to be able to retain players? So then, so then you go, retain players. Yeah. If you say ahead of time, I mean, we're not like, playing no for anything. We suck. We're terrible. They're going to go, yeah, no peace. Later. I'm in the portal. I'm going to go to the team who's in the pool. Thanks very much. I'm getting out of here. But they didn't say we're going to stink. Why do I want to put my line no, on? No, no. Get out of here. Between, See ya. Goodbye. Wait, wait, wait. There's a difference between stinking and thinking you're going to be in the top 10. You just said there could be 30 teams thing. saying they're contending. There's only yeah. 65 of the power five. Other than Kansas, who wants to sign up to get their teeth kicked in every week? Well, I'm just happy for the scholarship. The bottom line is, the bo- well, no, you have to. Dis- well, you have to. You have to do some, uh, you know, sifting out too. You can't have a two and eight team saying we're going to contend for the national title next year. I'm talking about elite level teams who have a legitimate argument and who declare an intent to contend, and then you have to play. So this, in this case, Wake Forest would have played Cincinnati. <laughs> or something, or just something better to help these teams or make these teams get on board with a legit schedule and do basically what Oregon has been doing for 20 years. Oregon has been the most, one of the most aggressive scheduling teams in the nation. Like they've gone all out for 20 years plus to schedule anyone, anytime, anywhere. They would prefer a home and a home and a home, home and away, whatever. But uh, every, every program needs to be like that. Not old dominion, Norfolk and Navy or army. Yeah, well, that's that that's come up, and they've they've got yeah, and it was Wake. I was right. It was Wake Forest where yes, the one matchup. I thought they were doubling up North Carolina, but this matchup with North Carolina, while it's two ACC teams, it is not not a conference conference game. game. And this is this came up before, so you get into yeah, obviously it's an ACC matchup, but it is not a conference game because the ACC plays eight games, and this just happens to be something that occurred. Um, be that as it may, yeah, this is, it really gets back to some of the stuff at the Alliance and all that. Why do we mention this coming up in, in early November and all this other stuff? Yeah. Cause these are some of the issues when you get into rankings and how do you do this stuff and how will it be better for the PAC 12 going forward other than just having an Oregon be really good or any one team be really good in a given year. How does the rest of the league get up beyond winning? Obviously. Yeah. Well, improving relative strength of schedule improving non-conference scheduling these things these are all concepts that are being bantied around um and lowering the number of conference games from nine to eight if you're going to do that potentially as soon as next year if you're going to get rid of divisions but retain certain matchups one of which well two of which let's make it abundantly clear will be oregon and washington and oregon and oregon state just to well, that's another rest issue. everybody's you, you bring concerns up, like, there not 
you bring up the conference thing. That's another whole bag of doo-doo right there. The, not playing every team in your conference. But that's not mathematically possible. Well, no, no. Let, let me finish. Automatically creates a scenario where you're going to have some teams playing far tougher schedules than other teams. And since everything is so schedule-based, and then you're going to end up with faux conference champions in terms of the fact that they didn't have to play X, Y, Z. But you're right. It's mathematically impossible if you have a 12-team conference to play 11 games and then play some non-conference games. But why do you have to have a 12-team conferences? Why do you have to have 14-team conferences? You don't need that either. The entire thing is just jacked. The entire thing is whacked. It's always been whacked. It's going to be whacked until they expand the playoffs. I'm only talking about this because Oregon's involved and our publication covers Oregon and I've covered Oregon for a long time and I do this podcast with you. Otherwise, I would have not watched one second of that garbage television show yesterday and I would not be talking about any of this because the idea that you have undefeated teams who may not get into the playoffs is just nonsense. Anyway. It's not a great construct of the system. <laughs> but stupid. if it's up to the it's Pac-12. It's better than the BCS, though. It's better than, it's better than voting on it. It's better than voting, voting on it. It's better than so voting on it. Here's another thing. I'll never forgive college football and all the idiots in suits back in the day who de- deprived us of Miami-Washington. Why am I still debating with Washington fans about who would have won that game 30 years later? They should have I almost said the F word. They should have flipping played that day. Why did Penn State and Nebraska not play each other? Uh, was it the 94 season? Instead of Penn State beating up on Oregon, and I can't remember who Nebraska played. Like, there's so many situations like that in history, you know, that are just unforgivable to me that they went down that way. So at least the BCS was better than that. This is better than the BCS. But let's just get on with it and get to what we all know is going to happen and what should have happened 50 years ago and just have a legitimate playoff team where the conference champions get in, a few wild cards, whatever you want to have, and then go from there. So we can just stop this inane nonsense. Rant over. And with that, we'll get into last <laughs> week's game and this week's game. Cover up. You're listening to Ducks Confidential. We'll be back after a quick break. So Oregon's win over Colorado. And really handling its business uh, in as many ways as imaginable, basically, as, as well as you can draw it up. Uh, statistically speaking, it's largest amount of output by way of yards, points, you name it, uh, since certainly the Ohio State game, but really best showing uh, statistically of the season. Uh, obviously, everyone, everyone in the running back core got involved, uh, some quite heavily involved, particularly uh, Cardwell and McGee, uh, in addition to Die. So the offense did virtually everything uh, to the absolute max other than a late interception by Ty Thompson. Everything else was, uh, was, it was nothing short of, statistically speaking, when Anthony Brown Jr. was the quarterback, they gained over 97% of their available yards, which is, uh, that's hard to do. That's hard to do on air. So that <laughs> I don't care who you're playing. The fact that you're <laughs> playing a conference opponent, that is, it's hard to gain 97% of available yards. <laughs> Sooner or later, you figure something's oh, wrong shoot. is going to happen, and right. it really didn't. Uh, so that's hard to do. So You called Colorado air, man. Did you know that? Roundabout way? Well, <laughs> they're in thin air, so you know, perhaps maybe that was part of it. And look, they again, they're in a oh, rebuild. They're in a big rebuild, and they didn't have their best player, so it made, th- it made a bad situation a whole lot worse and hardly a surprising outcome. But 
Having but said still, that, having said that, a mismatch that proved to be a mismatch, and we talked finally, about could they be dominant? Could they be? Well, yeah, against a vastly inferior opponent. So such as it was, what were, if any, big takeaways? Other than yes, finally dominating somebody. Um, yeah, that's what, my only takeaway. End the game early. Show me you can end the game early that you should. Don't play the Arizona nonsense, Cal nonsense. You know, even to me, UCLA is a solid team, but you should win that game by three touchdowns if you're really a top four team in the country. Come on. So yeah, no, I, that's all I, that's all I cared about. And, and then I want to see some running back play, some different running backs besides, besides die. I want to see Cardwell, who I thought looked really good. Uh, Seven McGee looks nice. So I wanted to see that, but yeah, I mean, this, this to me should be a given what they did. Instead, it's like, oh my God, they finally did it. Uh, which, which though speaks to the fact that they, they're conceivably getting better before our very eyes. So that's, that's a good and thing. And they have. But, uh, they have. but yeah, that, that was my own thing. They, they dominated a team. They should have dominated. They gave up 15 points in the fourth quarter, but who cares? It was, was 44 14 going into the fourth. That's, that's all that matters to me. And then, yeah, there's some nice plays made by Colorado and, you know, you got some backups in there for Oregon. So who cares about those, four, those 15 points? I don't. But yeah, that's, that was the only thing I was really interested in. Are they going to go out and dominate these guys? And they did. And, and, you know, again, the opponent's not great, but Colorado's defense this year hasn't been god awful. Their problem they're is scoring. They're scoring defense. Their points allowed, but some of that was a bit misleading. Again, also propped up by a close game against Texas A and M. If you went by their more recent games, there's a little bit there's a little bit less strength to it. And obviously, they hadn't played an offense in league play that had led the league like Oregon did. And frankly, Oregon State is also high up there by way of points. Well, they're about to play Colorado, and Landman could still be out. So Colorado's numbers are about to get skewed about to get worse. back back to normal uh, for a bad team. So, yeah, my, my takeaways were simply the offense has developed and has improved. It's done that over the course of a month. It wasn't a one-day sample size. To say that, that uh, yeah, to your point, that the ground game got a lot more uh, arms involved. Uh, and legs involved in that, which is good to see. By way of production, look, they they all did fine and well, and including in pass blocking, which I thought was frankly more important than even their production on the ground because right. Cardwell's long touchdown run, credit to him. But I mean, there was the, the, the linebackers were were just horrific, horrific. I mean, that the that the way that was done, that was all the offensive line, a hundred percent. I mean, if you want, you were the one who was discrediting Verdell's run against Ohio State, but that's a legitimate team, a legitimate defense. Uh, and you're playing on the road, and their linebackers didn't part the Red Sea, uh, like like occurred on that run by Carball. Where, my goodness, the Colorado's the Colorado linebackers were were the Ohio oh State goodness. linebackers exited. They exited to go chase guys in man to man. There was no one there. But to your point, yes, I agree. Was, when, when there's a giant there hole and a running back place. runs through it, no, I know when the when there's a giant hole and a running back runs through it. The average person is like, oh, my God, that guy's amazing. Like the running back used the force to move people out of their way. Whereas if you pay attention to the blocking, there was a run by Ezekiel Elliott a couple years ago when he was at Ohio State, so four years ago, whatever, where he is a beautiful runner on the left side. He takes off and was like, oh, my God, Elliott's amazing. I'm like, what are you talking about? That was the one of the best well-blocked runs you will ever see in the history of mankind because it was outside run and nobody was in position to touch him because the blocking was perfect. You're, you're right. That said, what I liked about Cardwell at six foot two ten. Was his feet, man? He's got quick feet. He he put some stutters on some people and had and made it made some people miss. Now we could say linebackers are no good. They shouldn't have been, you know, maybe they bad technique, whatever. Still, just seeing a big back like that 
with th- those types of feet, I thought was fun and interesting. Yeah, I thought his top the, the, <laughs> ultimately that while you know the blocking was done for him on that play in particular, I thought his top end speed on the play was still impressive. I thought his blocking right. at times was impressive. I thought McGee's blocking at times was strong for a smaller back, uh, on particular on that third and ten on the touchdown pass to Franklin. I thought that was a, a really well done play as a whole for the offense. Where yeah, you can't say that things couldn't been done a little better by way of yeah, the McGee's block could have been a little stronger, could have been a little earlier. Sure, but ultimately, you're putting him out there in a third and 10 situation and ultimately delivers. And Brown throwing off one leg and Franklin coming down with it, the whole thing. So bottom line, the offense had the kind of day it needed and did exactly what was asked of it. Defensively, that there was a, a small, small degree of concern in two factors. One, the one issue that we've hit on all season. So at this point, just accept it. Accept it for what it is. Uh, Colorado didn't throw a lot of 12 and 22 personnel before. That's a new wrinkle. Yeah, because you keep showing you can't stop it. (laughs) And you still can't stop it. And now you're going to play a Washington team who does it too. And you're going to play an Oregon State team who does it too. And you're going to play a Utah team who does it too. Guess what? If I'm Washington State, I'm putting in the wrinkle. And it has nothing to do with the run and shoot. It's it's the complete antithesis of it. But I'm going to throw it in the wrinkle because you can't stop it. So until you show somebody that you can actually stop 12 personnel, then I'm going to keep doing it. So that's a concern. And the other being that obviously the depth in the secondary, specifically a deep safety spot, got pushed to the brink. And credit to a walk-on to Lucas Nolan who played, well, actually thought I thought he played really well. Uh, in the in the snaps that he had, uh, but Brian Addison credit to him for having the the production that he did and playing the most snaps that he's ever played on defense. A converted wide receiver. I know he played the position way back in high school, but give me a break. It's way back in high school. You're talking about a fourth year sophomore. Don't tell me about what he did in high school and how it's going to translate. Okay, look, he had Still production. Experience. He had production. Still- the production matters. The young man. Uh, you want to talk about uh, one of the many reasons why? Like I hate hate hearing about. In sport, I don't know who who made it part of the lexicon on a constant basis, but it drives me nuts. The, the term adversity that's used for <laughs> when you're when you're trailing in a football game or a turnover goes or an official makes a call you don't, you like, don't like that word. Oh my! When it's a pl- when it's misapplied when it when it's applied yeah. to a sport for something so innocuous when but when because it's it's a it's nonsensical when you then see. And and obviously are aware of it. It happens for in general in life every day. But when you then you know in this case, a young man who has experienced extreme adversity in his life, and Brian Addison. So him having production and playing at the scale that he did means something. Truly means something. Tangibly means something. Now was he picked on a bit when he had to be in there for a like three quarter, more than three quarters of the game, the Colorado ultimately lined up Brendan Rice on his side of the field a lot, and he it was on his side of the field that Colorado scored all three of its passing touchdowns. Yes, that happened. That's that's irrefutable. But he was also playing his most significant snaps and most highest volume of snaps, and he could have success in a whole bunch of them, and ultimately have you know less success and and have a you know mistake here or there and a few others, and it could blow up on you. But as a whole, where Oregon expects to have several players back in that regard, 
yeah, you knew that the the safety depth was a concern before guys went down. Well, then guys went down and it became a little bit of an issue. But I don't think Washington is necessarily the team that's going to expose that in this week going forward. So to me, the bigger trend on the defensive side still remains the 12 personnel matchup problem. And we've talked about that all season long. So having said that, in our brief synopses of the week that was, because Colorado was the, the matchup that it was. Your thoughts on, first, the big picture aspect of the rivalry, Aaron, and the the fun fodder that Jimmy Lake provided the other day <laughs> with academically prowess teams. <sighs> we needed something. It made for good, it made for good copy. It made for a little bit of fun. It gets fan bases going. Yeah. I mean, I'm not as riled up as people are about it i mean he's not completely wrong it just didn't make any sense in that i don't know i i just felt like he was just trying to latch on to something because oregon's obviously killing them in recruiting but you know people are going to take things like that and blow them out of proportion i i don't know it didn't it didn't really phase me i was just kind of taken aback by how many people reacted the way they reacted uh that said I find it funny when Washington fans try and talk any trash at all about Oregon because Oregon has just pretty much owned them for the last two decades. Uh, but but that's the fun of rivalry. Last year. That's no, the no, fun of rivalry. No, I, I know. I'm just saying for me personally, I just find it just, you know, I just roll my eyes at it. But, you know, whatever. People are going to do what they're going to do. But this is, you know, unfinished business from last year, I think. Uh, but Washington has not lived up to their end of the bargain, given where they are right now. But I do believe they have a – but they have a puncher's – well, I think more than a puncher's chance of winning this game. Uh, but what do you think of the leg thing? I mean, again, like like I said, I thought I thought he probably shouldn't have said it, given you should pretty much know where that's going to go if you do that. But was he wrong? Yeah, stati- statistically and factually, he's wrong, yes, because even if you want to take – I don't care if you want to take barbs and shots at, at a rival school. Have at it. Do your thing. I don't matter. You know, I'm, what am I, offended? I don't care. That doesn't mean the look to me. <laughs> it's, But if you're going to say we don't actually recruit against them, I think that's overblown, and oh, we yeah, actually recruit right. against these other schools, that's factually incorrect. Uh, I mean, that's yes, just flat out wrong. Like That's wrong. But the academic but the academic element about Washington and where they are academically has some merit, but it doesn't ha- make any relative, sense. Relative to, but, one, but, to, to an arbitrary ranking system – but I mean, that that does not matter in the scale of college football whatsoever. Right, that's what I'm. That's what for I'm one, saying. two, but two to, to. It's one thing Washington if you want to say is, Washington's Washington. ranked ahead of Oregon in in the U.S. News and World Report's rankings. That is factually correct. It is another thing to then take the leap of we recruit in line with Stanford, Stanford USC, and Notre Dame academically. All right, slow down, like. There's one thing by saying we're 59, they're 99, and, and by the way, they're all in the AAU, and who gives a damn? But but that aside for a second, take your shots, take your bars. It's all fun and a rivalry. Have, have have at it. Go crazy. But to then take the leap, like I say, at that point, why stop there? Why not just say, yeah, you know, we really try to convince the top guys in the Ivy League. You know, we're really we're <laughs> trying, we're trying like crazy. You know, like, I mean, why stop there? Why, you know, oh yeah, sure. Yeah. You really, you've been going toe to toe academically with, uh, with Stanford, Notre Dame and USC on a day to day. I mean, stop. You know, yeah, come he on. Like, he took was, it once. He took it a couple steps too far. No doubt about that. Like that was that, that part was just like, Oh my goodness. But the uh, other thing too is I don't buy, I don't buy that 
let's say there's a five-star kid Oregon was on and maybe their grades weren't great, that Washington still wouldn't take that kid. Of course. <laughs> like, of course. Like, like, he's almost acting like we, we, there's certain players Oregon takes that we wouldn't even bother taking. Right. And that's right. And, and ultimately, and, and look, I hate to tell you, in both cases, in both cases, they, the Pac-12 as a whole, as a whole, yes, there are obviously the three non-AAU schools where this applies to a lesser extent, that being Wazoo, OSU, and ASU. The AAU schools have a harder, harder time with admission standards. That becomes even harder for Stanford. The UC schools... And then USC is a little bit murkier in that regard. <laughs> um, they 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 have high admission standards, but I think they manage to find ways around them in terms of athletics, which is fine, which puts them in the same class as most everyone else. But point is, is like Stanford always points out, is and but it's factually correct. Yeah, their admission standards are higher, and they don't bend them for their athletes, whether we're talking about for football or anything else. That's true. That's, yes, that's accurate. That is true. So, for some of the schools in the league, it becomes a harder challenge. But as a whole, compared to other conferences even, other than the Big Ten, who's all AAU schools other than Nebraska, yeah, it is, on a relative basis, is it harder uh, to for admission standards in the Pac-12 compared to most all of the current or future Big 12 other than Texas and you know maybe Kansas and Iowa State I think yeah yeah but that's now we're going into the academia side of the AA schools against the uh, Sachs schools which only people in the ivory towers even know what we're talking about when it comes down to actual recruiting rankings and who's doing better yeah it's not even a question and it's not been a question about who's gotten recent flips and who's landed certain players who had offers from both schools and you name it, you name it. So yes, in the recruiting realm, this, it, it gave a little bit of fodder to the week. It gave, uh, you know, some nice, a, a nice proverbial shot in the arm for the uh, rivalry conjecture of the week. But ultimately it will it have anything to do with Saturday. No. No, and I do think to your point that there is a little bit of unfinished business relative to last year. It hasn't come up a lot this week so far, but I do think that there there is an element of the way that everything went down last year. Not just all oh, that the game got canceled was no contest because of a COVID outbreak in Washington. All right, all right, look that that happened in a lot of places. So that in and of itself, you, you hated that it happened in the first place. Okay, but then everything subsequent to that, the the minute that the the ball got kicked off at Oregon State, so then that that game was official, that therefore Washington won the North Division, and Washington tweeted out that they were North Division champions before the Pac-12 tweeted out that they were North Division, and the whole thing, and you know, then Oregon replacing them in the title game and everything else. Um, I think the fact that so much was not decided on the field. It was so stupid. Oh, it was ridiculous. It was absolutely <laughs> absurd. But that's the point. It, it, again, add, added to the uh, your rant earlier about college football and the integrity of the system and the whole thing and why it's so ridiculous. Well, last year was pretty ridiculous. 
particularly in the Pac-12, particularly in the, for, really for both divisions, but especially in the North Division. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty ridiculous. So, you know, what other sport was having all the things that came along the way? This is college football. This is what we get to deal with. So, yes, I think there's a lot of unfinished aspects of it all. And with that, in terms of what actually comes on the field relative to that, you know, Oregon specifically, I haven't gone through Washington's roster at nauseum in this regard, but it also applies to a certain extent. You know, the teams last met in 19, and when you run through the current rosters, the current two deeps, and compare it to 2019, the last time they met, there's a whole lot of guys on both sides who did not play in that game or played very little or weren't even at the school. So there's a lot of guys who are going to be playing on Saturday who haven't experienced this rivalry before. A lot. And we're not just talking about, oh, well, the roster is 85 guys. Of course, it's been freshmen the last two years and they didn't play. No, no. I'm talking about guys on the two deep. I'm talking about starters. That's the difference is, yeah, when they missed the year last year and missed playing, yeah, there's an element of that. And again, it goes, it goes for both schools. Don't get me wrong, but it's, it's a pretty high number of players. It's not like, oh, there's two or three guys here. Again, like Oregon's entire offensive line is different. Obviously, its quarterback is different. Yeah, its receiving core is largely the same. Defensively, almost its entire, the entire secondary. Seven. Is, the entire secondary is different. Other than Verone. And Michael played, and he actually came in, because I think Demo went down during the game. He played a decent number of snaps. But yeah, Verone and Michael. Otherwise, everyone in the secondary... Everyone in the front seven, other than KT, who didn't have a statistic in the game because they because Washington did things schematically to avoid him. And Dorless, I think, played sparingly. But remember, post-game, as Oregon's celebrating on the field, there was the video of Lamar Winston Jr. talking to Keon Ware Hudson and Christian Williams and saying, you know, remember how we got here. It's on you now to keep it this way and et cetera. Well, not, obviously, Lamar's gone. Plenty of other guys are gone. But... Those two guys were red shirt, red shirting as freshmen that year. They weren't playing very much, mm-hmm. and now they're in the rotation at defensive tackle. Oh, That's good point. point. Yeah, there were a lot of guys from that defense. Not just Lamar. Not just Troy. Not just yeah. Demo. <laughs> sure. Not just Thomas Graham. Not just Siobhan Holland. Not just Brady. You know, we can go on and on. Yeah, there are a lot of guys from that 2019 Oregon team on both sides of the ball who are long gone. And again, it applies in a, to a similar extent to Washington, though I think not quite as extreme. Not quite as extreme. Obviously, they've changed quarterbacks. Yes, they've changed coordinators. Yes, unfortunately, they've had some significant players go down. Ryan Bowman being out for the season for them really hurts them. One of their other top tacklers is out now for the year. So they have some major pieces down too. But that's an element to this. Uh, and that's, again, that's, that's, there's always rivalries renewed. There's always some new infusion. But compared to last time they met, yeah, it's quite the infusion. It's it's a pretty significant number of new bodies out there. So with that said, Aaron, how do you see it by way of the matchup of Washington's offense, such as it is? It has not been a particularly strong unit at all. Yes. Against an Oregon defense that, as we point out and have for two solid months now, has some pretty well-known vulnerabilities. Oh man. <clears throat> um 
I think the only way Oregon loses this game, it's almost cliche, but I think it definitely fits in this scenario, is if Washington's defense, which is pretty good, can force some turnovers to help its offense and muddy up the game a little bit, and you can win something 24-20 or 12. That 24 might even be too much, 20-17 to 17 or something like that. But Washington's offense is just so painful to watch. Like, it's... I'm just, I'm just surprised because they recruited some offensive talent over the last few years. Like they, they got some dudes, I thought, but they just haven't been able to put anything together. And if you can't, if you can't put anything out there that's a threat to Oregon's defense, regardless of Oregon's vulnerabilities, you're just not going to put up points. Now, I'm sure you think they're going to come out with two tight ends and try and run the run the ball a lot, and that's all fine and dandy. But you have to be able to throw the ball at some point to generate points. And I just don't think they're going to be able to against Oregon. So unless Oregon coughs up the ball three, four times, Oregon's going to score enough to win just by getting into the twenties. Like it could just be 23, 17 or 20 to 14 or 20 to 13. I just don't think it's going to take very much because Oregon's defense is good enough to shut down whatever Washington tries to do. Even if they do get the running game going a little bit with double tight end or whatever, 12 personnel, at the end of the day, I don't think that's going to be enough to beat Oregon. If you're going to draw up a way for Washington to win it, it would be by Washington being the the pinnacle of traditional Washington, offensively and defensively, for that matter. Of course, the big problem for them has been that both their run offense and their run defense has not been what it has, what, what the reputation that precedes them in that regard. This year, they are very much not the same kind of running team that they have been historically. Yeah, they got better in October when the season started and Dylan Morris is averaging 280 yards passing per game in September. In, in September, And now it's down to like 180 because McGrew got healthy and, and was now a factor in the offense. Yeah, they've run more. They're still not running that prolifically. McGrew is doing okay, but no one's going to confuse him with being the top one, two, or even five running back in this league. So, and their offensive line they're has at that three point six per carry. Yeah, they're not. They can say they're not strong there. They're not. <laughs> Again, cool. when when you think Washington, you think of all the running backs of yesteryear and all that. That's not the current situation. Some of that has to do with the line. I'm not sure if Jackson Kirkland is going to play. He's one of their better offensive linemen. Not sure if he's going to play or not. He hadn't played. I don't think the last two games. The point is, it's not just about him, but he's you know an example. So they have issues up front and, and getting the protection in the pass game and getting the movement for the running game. Look, their offense, whether it's against winning opponents and conference play, you name it, their offensive statistics aren't good at all. Overall yards, running yards, points, you name it. Their offense isn't good. But if you're going to draw up a way, it's going to be with multiple tight ends and pounding the rock and making a – it's going to be a – if you – if you're Washington, you're trying to make this a really boring game. You're trying to make this a really dull, dreary, crummy, grinding game. Really, quite honestly, a lot like what they just did against Stanford. And yeah, they needed the late comeback and two-minute drive and everything. Yeah, but that's how they're going to have to win if they're going to win. That's the point. Because defensively, exactly. Look, their pass defense is legitimately good. Really good. Excellent. Their run defense has been much less so. Oregon has had success on the ground in a big way. 
I think they're going to continue to find that on Saturday. And I know that it's been obviously criticized and pointed out all season about the lack of vertical shots and not as many deep balls from Anthony Brown and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Look, do I think they'll take a few against Washington? I do. Do I think that they win or lose the game because of how many 25-plus yard passes in the air that they take? No. No. I think it's going to be determined, like you point out, we can always go back to turnovers, but yeah, I think that's going to be a big element of this. And when you're going up against a legitimately top 10 pass defense who is awfully exposed on the ground, I think just running and holding on to the ball is going to matter a whole lot more than putting the ball at risk against a legitimately really good pass defense. So this may not be the most entertaining of rivalry matchups necessarily. And if it does become that way by way of offense, that bodes well for Oregon. Because to your point, I don't think Washington can keep up. I don't think they have the offensive firepower to keep up if the game cracks the high 20s into the 30s. If it gets into the 30s, forget it. I don't think Oregon has the firepower. Right. Let alone whether or not Oregon's defense will be able to shut them down, this, that, the other. I don't think Washington has the players to put up 30 points on Oregon. Outside of the game going to overtime, which now means you only get two legitimate overtime periods anyway. Um, no, I, I don't I don't see that. So I do think that as a whole, the matchup favors Oregon in a lot of ways. But I do respect Washington's defense, particularly their pass defense specifically. I don't think their offense is very good. I haven't thought their offense is good for even going back to last year in the small sample that it was. I didn't think Donovan was a good hire. I think it has proven not to be so. I think there will be changes there. I think there should have been changes there earlier this season. But there is a big swing element to this game for Washington by way of narratives, like we're talking about with the recruiting aspect and everything else. What do you think the difference is for Washington in the big picture of a win on Saturday, win the Apple Cup, go to a bowl game that may not be all that great, but if they win a couple rivalry games and then maybe ride that momentum into at least improving their relative recruiting class, and feeling good about themselves versus as it presently is drawn up. A lot of people are going to pick Washington to lose on Saturday, lose the Apple Cup, struggle to get the six and six. Do you even go to a bowl game if you're changing coordinators and everything else, potentially? There's a big swing element over the next month for Washington in the big picture. (laughs) There is. And it starts on Saturday. That's the backdrop, you know, the other backdrop to this beyond recruiting nonsense or or what Jimmy Lake has to say by way of <laughs> what, what makes the rivalry or not. Yeah, the other backdrop to all this in the big picture is this is a big mo- it's a big month for both teams in, in different areas of the pers- of the spectrum. Oregon's in number 4, they want to stay in the playoff conversation and it's it's Al Davis, it's just win baby. For Washington it's win or there's going to be a and there could still be really dramatic and big swings the other way. But if if it's not just losing, but losing potentially badly in a couple of these games, oh boy. Oh boy. The, the, the questions and the criticism that's been going on in Seattle all season could get amplified exponentially over the next four or five weeks. If the Huskies, not just, forget about just Saturday, like I say, the whole month, because this is now a race for them to get to bowl eligibility and to look better on both sides. 
They've been struggling in a lot of ways. So I do think I do think that it'll be a competitive game. I do think it'll be competitive. I just think that Oregon wins. What was your score prediction? Oh gosh, I'm, I'm not even sure I've sent him one yet, or or if my initial one to start the week. I think I might your sneak peek. I, yeah, my sneak peek. I got to remember what I put down there. I want to say I put in like <laughs> honestly because it's one of those where like the days start to blend together. I I think I had. I'm gonna try and pull it up real quick here. I want to say I had it like thirty one twenty three maybe um thirty five twenty four. I put down on Monday. Uh, oh, wow, you think they get the thirty five? And that's the thing. I I that was my initial. I could bump that down a touchdown both ways. I could go 28-21 or 28-17. Uh, and I, I I very well might, to be quite honest with you. I think that I might have been a bit high initially oh, by way of a, a score prediction. But I do think that Oregon wins. I think they probably win by more than the, the betting line ever so slightly. I think that they're a better team. I think they're going to show that they're a better team in the trenches. I think they have the better players as a whole. But it's a rivalry game, and it's on the road, and it's, you know, I think there's an element of that. But I do think Oregon is the better team of the two. All right, get ready for this prediction. 27-17 Oregon. However, for if UW wins the turnover battle, it's a three-point swing each way. So if Washington forces two more turnovers in Oregon, then you give six more six more points to Washington, take away six points from the Ducks, and it could be 23-21 Washington. So I'm basing it all on the takeaway factor. And if and the other way around, if Oregon wins the turnover battle, then add three, take three away. Then they just so run it away. To me, Oregon to re, yeah, to me, Oregon wins this game all, you know, I don't think they're I, I do think they're going to have trouble getting into the 30s. I mean, they might. I mean, you never know. I mean, obviously, pick six or a punt return can change that kind of thing. But I do think Washington's defense is pretty legit. And Oregon, uh, their offense, I mean, Colorado, we throw that out a little bit. Can't compare them to Washington. UCLA, their defense was suspect, and Oregon barely got into 30 on that. It was 34, right? So I do. I don't think 30 is going to be a given because Washington's defense is pretty legit. And like you said, they're going to try and – slow this game down and muddy it up, try and eat some clock with the run, which they might have some success doing, although they won't produce a lot of points doing that. So I don't think it's going to be something where Oregon runs away. Um, but I can see 27-17, and if Oregon coughs it up in their own territory, you know, you fumble the ball in your 20 and give Washington a short field, that changes the complexion of the game. You, you know, throw a pick. Maybe you were going to go in and score, and instead of getting a field goal or a touchdown, you throw a bad pick. Washington saves some points there. Those kind of things. If those things happen, then Oregon – could could lose this and Washington can steal it. Other than that, Oregon's a better team. You've, you've constructed the the a lot of a lot <laughs> of the like extreme that? scenarios <laughs> that could swing a game. I wrote a movie script yeah, the, about the my extreme, prediction. Extreme <laughs> extreme scenarios, and then this could happen, yeah. and then that could happen, and then this. Yeah, could happen. They could get to the one yard line and throw a hundred yard pick six. Yeah, they could. I mean, it is allowed. And then Washington could win. Yeah, it is it is allowed by rule. You could do that. Yes, that, that is possible. Um, Hey, oh I, again, that's part of the fun. It's part of the fun of rivalry weeks in particular. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I think we both tend to agree that Oregon is the better team entering it. We'll see on Saturday if they are the better team leaving it. And, again, as long as they are, 
and continue to stay ranked in the college football playoff conversation for a playoff spot in the field of four, uh, then that obviously uh, keeps things very fun throughout the month of November and hopefully into December. Uh, and when I say hopefully, hopefully for Ducks fans, but hopefully for <laughs> hopefully for business for us, because again, we <laughs> doesn't change one way or another for our lives, but it does change uh, by way of interest in our work. So uh, hopefully uh, that, that maintains that way. So again, we'll have some conversation and have a little bit of fun with it as long as that maintains the case. But of course, we'll continue to have weekly editions of the Ducks Confidential Podcast right here, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to subscribe to it wherever it is that you get them. And make sure to give us a five-star review and all the likes so that more people can find our fine podcast as well, in particular as the playoff rankings are very much underway and Oregon is in the thick of the conversation. I think that that will uh, generate quite a bit of interest in that regard. So, with that said, we will see you next week. He's Aaron Fentress. I'm Dan Screpia, and we will see you after this fine edition of the rivalry between Oregon and Washington. We'll see you next week.